reading today is from John's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of God, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. I'm not very good at PA, you know that. <laughs> Thanks for the wave, Aidan. Um, now, I'm going to have to apologise for my voice this morning. I spent quite a lot of yesterday afternoon celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> and I was challenged yesterday afternoon to try and get the whole of the starting 11 into my in sermon my this morning. Chris Neal, very easy. Jermaine Granderson, I got stuck there, so I gave up. Um, this morning, we're going to look at one of Jesus' uh, post-resurrection appearances. And last week we looked at uh, Doubting Thomas and the way we saw how his doubt led him to a place of belief. This week it's Simon Peter and we'll begin to see how Jesus brought him from a place of denial to being asked to take care of his sheep. Let's just quickly look at a bit of the background to the reading we've just heard. The death and resurrection of Jesus have taken place. Jesus has already appeared to his disciples a couple of times. Now seven of them are fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Now Jesus appeared to them before, but they're still uncertain as to what they are to do. And when Jesus appears to them, they don't immediately recognize him. Yet we see what happens. A great and miraculous catch of fish, and Peter hurling himself into the sea, fully clothed, leaving the other disciples to haul in the fish. There's already a charcoal fire 
with fish cooking that Jesus, and the, the fire that Jesus made. And that brings us to this point that we've just started to read. Now, I'm sure like many of you, I've heard this passage spoken on n- numerous times uh, over the years. And the most obvious way to, to look at the passage is to see it as the reinstatement of the disciple who, de- who, who had denied Jesus earlier on. And you can see the similarities between this interaction we've just seen and Peter's denial of Jesus when Jesus was arrested. There were three denials, and now there are three questions and three answers, which restore Peter from the bitterness of that dreadful night. There's even a charcoal fire in this scene, like there was on the night that uh, Jesus was arrested. It's a dark night of despair when Peter denied Jesus. He was standing in the cold air, surrounded by enemies, warming himself by the fire. Now it's a bright, fresh morning, and Peter, with his friends, Jesus and the disciples, is feasting on a breakfast of, of 153 large fish, it tells us. Not so much a full English as a full Galilean breakfast. However, this passage is also a model of how Jesus cares for those he loves. He comes to Peter and knows the individual care that Peter needs. And he also knows all of us individually. It's also a commandment to those in any form of leadership within the church that first and foremost, we should be taking care of all those who are part of God's church. Three times Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Finally, it's a prophecy of Peter's eventual death and of the way Jesus calls us to to deny ourselves as we seek to serve him. In the course of what we look at this morning, each of those areas may well feature a little. But most of all, I want us to be able to see that our love for Jesus is the springboard from which, which everything we do, everything we say, everything we are, must start. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? How would you answer that question? How would I answer that question? Maybe at the end we'll come back to that and see where we are. The first thing that strikes me as we read this passage, particularly as we look at it from Peter's point of view, is that Peter came to realise how much Jesus really loved him. The way Jesus addresses Peter gives us a bit of a clue that Peter had upset Jesus. He says, Simon, son of John, his full name. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but when I was naughty as a child, it was never Steve. Always Stephen. (laughs) And apart from my mother, the only person that I think gets away with it is Joyce. (laughs) Still, I don't know how that is. Likewise, with my children, Becky has always been... Rebecca Jane. And uh, Joe's always been Joanna Ruth. I can't remember if we ever called Lucy because it was always a long name anyway. But, uh, any, and it, I'm sure you can't believe this. It's been many times since their childhood that I've had to call them that. The other thing that we can notice about the start of this conversation is that Jesus is talking very personally and privately with Peter. He's demanding Peter's full and undivided attention. Sometimes it's not until we really let someone down and that still receive their forgiveness and they still love us that we realize how much 
they truly love us. This was the case with Peter. At the Last Supper, Peter had claimed that even if all the other disciples had deserted Jesus, he would stand by him. He would never stop loving him. He was, in fact, claiming to love Jesus more than the other disciples did. So Jesus reminds him of this and asks, Do you love me more than these? Now, through this passage, we need to probably be aware of the different Greek words for love. We translate love, four different Greek words as love. We translate agape, which is, normally means sacrificial love. Philia, which means friendship or affection. Eros is passionate, um, love with sensual desire. And storge, which is normally used for the natural affection between parents and children. When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? He's using the word agape. Do you love me, whatever may happen? Now Peter knew he had messed up and replies by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word philia. I love you as a friend. Again, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? This time making it a bit easier by leaving out the more than these. And once again, Peter, aware of his failure, answers that he loves him as a friend. So finally, Jesus makes the question a lot easier for Peter to answer. And he asks, uses the word philia, do you love me as a friend? Peter is hurt because he's realized that actually he has let Jesus down. But he says, yes, Lord, I do love you as a friend. But through all this, Peter came to realize that, it, that despite letting Jesus down completely, Jesus was willing to forgive him. In fact, Jesus knew that he would do it and prayed for him beforehand. Luke 22 tells us that Jesus says, Simon, I've prayed for you in particular that you will not give in or give out and ask that when he turned back that he would strengthen his brothers. This showed Peter that he could be secure in the love that God had for him, that he didn't need to serve Jesus to be accepted, but that he was to serve in the knowledge that he was accepted already. His love for us, Jesus' love for us, is not dependent upon our performance as Christians, which is a pretty good job because I'm sure like many others I'd have failed years ago no Jesus love for us is unconditional whatever we do whatever we are when we deny him he is ready to forgive us and meet us where we are at he deals with us individually as he did with Peter and as we saw last week as he did with Thomas have you messed up like Peter I'm sure we all have which is why we have regularly in our services, time of confession, a time of saying sorry. And Jesus is always, always ready to forgive, to forgive all our fears and failings so that we can revel in his unconditional love once again. And as Peter came to realize how much Jesus loved him, he then came to love God's people. Every time Peter said he, had, he loved Jesus, Jesus then has to put that love into practice. Here, Jesus' tender love for us is seen by the tender terms he uses 
my lambs, my sheep. Jesus' love for us, his followers, is also seen by the way he charges Peter to promise to look after God's precious people. If you were in a position where you needed to entrust your loved ones to someone, who would you choose? Jesus entrusted his mother to John when he was on the cross. And now he was entrusting the care of his people to Peter. This affected Peter greatly. He then spent the rest of his life encouraging and leading others to follow in those footsteps. Through the whole of the book of Acts, he leads the Christians in Jerusalem, teaches the things he has learnt to new leaders. And as he talks about in his letter later on in the New Testament, he serves as an example to them. He never lords it over them. This is our model of service, willingly serving our church, God's church, because of the privilege entrusted to us by Jesus. We may not all be leaders in the traditional sense of the word, but we are all called to lead. We are called to take care of others. In our new vision map that Tim mentioned earlier, we talk about every member playing their part. We talk about bottom-up leadership. All of that starts with our response, with a realization that God loves us, and that our response to his question, do you truly love me, is an emphatic Yes, Lord. That's why our new mission statement starts with the words, loving God. Before we do anything else, everything that we are, everything we do, everything we say, needs to start from the point of loving God. Have the things God has called you to become more of a burden than a chore. Sorry, more, than, more of a burden than a joy, more of a chore than a privilege. Look again to the passion that Jesus has for his people and start to see the beauty in the people you are serving. Remember what Peter says in his first letter. Having encouraged his readers to be willing servants, he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Ask God to help you see everyone through his eyes. Maybe this morning we're in a place where we can answer yes to the question do you truly love me? But we need to learn to love others. And thirdly, Peter learned to love Jesus enough to lay down his life for him. Before the events of this passage, we could say that in a a phrase I used to use at school, Peter was all mouth and no trousers. He bragged at the Last Supper that he would never leave Jesus, but didn't, didn't have the bottle to put himself in the firing line, so to speak. He loved his own life too much. It was only when he saw just how much Jesus loved him, enough to die for him, enough to forgive him, and enough to use him again in ministry, that he was ready to hear the final prophetic and very difficult words that Jesus had for him. That in the future, he would lay down his life for Jesus. Tradition has it that when Peter was crucified, He asked to be crucified upside down so that people would not confuse his humble cross with Christ's true cross. Peter had come to the place where Christ was his first love and not his second. He had to learn that the love he needed for Christ was true agape love. The Christian life is one where we should be constantly making Jesus 
our first love. The Ephesian church is rebuked in Revelation 2 for forgetting their first love. The way back was through repentance and remembering where they were when God rescued them. When we remember what the state we were in when God res- first rescued us, maybe it will reinstate the first love we had for him. We all have a testimony, that story that we can tell, other, tell others of how God rescued us. How God rescued us from a life that was going nowhere fast. A life where we were living for ourselves rather than for God. A life where we put our own needs ahead of everything else. However, however long ago that is, whether it's a few weeks or a few decades, I encourage you to remember and share that story with someone else. Love for Jesus is at the very heart of all our Christian experience and usefulness. If we are going to live his adventure, we need to start by loving him. Just getting into the habit of doing, thing, or doing things through a sense of duty or using our own willpower will not sustain our faith or our service through difficult and challenging times. If we were designing a job description, there would be various skills and qualities that sit in the desirables column. But the only essential quality would be love for Jesus. Love is indispensable. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church tells us, if I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Perseverance, the very thing that Peter had failed to show at the start, but had in bucket loads by the end. This brief interaction that we heard this morning between Jesus and Peter may only have lasted a few minutes. However, it became clear that without it, Peter would never have had the courage, the perseverance, the love to build the church in Jerusalem. As I said at the beginning, Jesus was there for Peter to meet his very personal needs. He's also here now to help us with any of our needs. We may not be ready to say to Jesus, I love you unconditionally, but we may be at the place where we can say, I'm ready to learn to love you more. Jesus will come to us. He holds out his hands to us and will just say, come. There's a prayer from the church in Scotland that we've used in communion occasionally. And part of it says this, come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Jesus invites us all in wherever we are in our adventure with him. How do we respond to Jesus' love for us? Are we like Peter, who came to realize just how much Jesus really loved him? Are we just realizing that Jesus loves us unconditionally? Maybe you're at a stage where you want to take that first step to saying to Jesus, yes, I do love you. And if that's the case, if you feel God calling you to that, maybe now is the time to get confirmed, as Tim said, 15th of July. Have a chat with him afterwards. 
Maybe we're like Peter, where he responded to that love by caring for God's people. Is God giving you a call about the part you can play in his church? Or are we like Peter, when he came to love Jesus enough to lay down his life for him? I don't think we will have to physically lay down our lives for him, but we may metaphorically have to. Are we too busy doing our own thing, living in our comfort zone? Have we forgotten our first love for Jesus? There are any number of ways we could respond to the things God has been saying to us this morning. Maybe we just want to go home and spend some time quietly praying and reading and just responding to God in that way. Maybe you'd like to spend some time talking and praying with someone here from our ministry team. In which, in that case, there'd be time at the end to do that. In whichever way you feel you can respond, our aim should be to be in a place where we can say that we are loving God and living his adventure. Amen.